I'm going to conclude the few little messages that I did that I've been doing on uh, called The Bride. And um, the church is the bride. And in many ways, uh, without sounding that, that uh, only the spiritual ones get it, there is a part of this series that is by revelation. Because it's about our attitudes and our postures and, and how we come at life. You know, when I got married, Kathy and I got married in a church that had a little bit of a different design uh, than this church, in that the front door was behind what was the platform and the screen. So Kathy didn't walk down the aisle. In a, in a sense, she came in the front door and, and was revealed from behind the screen. You know, and she came behind the screen, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> it was a revelation. It was a beauty. It was, a, it was great. And it was almost better than walking down the aisle, you know, because it was like, wow, she's there. <laughs> and in some ways, I want to ask you to, to kind of catch the fact that you as an individual, us as a group, as a church, we, we are a bride. We, we are... We are, have a deep connection with Jesus that is really important. You see, because how you come at life, how you posture yourself as a Christian and come at life is really important. You see, you can be the sort of person that just goes with the flow, or you can be in, intentional. If you go with the flow, you might end up where everybody else wants you. You go with their flow. And actually, you don't go where you're supposed to be. You go where everybody else says you should be. If you could be flexible in life, however, you might get some opportunities that you never dreamed of. So I'm not talking about being rigid. I'm saying we've got to be flexible. There's got to be things in our lives where we think, I'm going to go with that a bit because it might just be a God thing. You see, the important thing is to be intentional. And what that means is you have to have a deep commitment and a deep passion to what's important and to where you're going. There's got to be something that you decide about. The bride decides. Now, of course, some people come at life by being ambitious. And that often means and can mean you miss out some of the unusual journey that God's got for you because your mind's blinkered and God has some things for you that you may never have got if you just lay that ambition down. And some people are ambitious, they alienate people anyway. But if we are to live as the church, as a bride of Christ, it becomes clear that we have to be people who decide things. We're intentional about things. That there's some commitments in our lives. We make some specific commitments. And some of us actually are living our lives. Life's coming at us instead of us coming at life. A bride doesn't just end up at the altar. There's a process to get them there. It's an intentional journey of, of commitment and decision and discerning the right path for them. And it's the same with you, and it's the same with us as church. We have to decide where we want to go. Not everything's in our control, that's fine. But we have to have an intention of where we are going. We've been looking at 
kind of several characteristics over the last few weeks about being a bride. And it's a posture of how we approach things. The first thing we said that a bride is expectant and ready and prepared. And we have to be willing to face forward and move into new seasons for God. The bride's posture is, is one of love and that, uh, that we refine our motivations by living from love, this exclusivity and the purity of loving others and loving God. But today, I want to just kind of place in our spirits this posture of intentional decisions that play out in our lives because the bride decides. The first decision that we have to make is to decide that we are going to be joyful. Now, it might seem an unusual thing, but many of us think that joy is a response and that joy, but joy is actually more of a fruit that you cultivate by your decisions and by the things that you allow in your mind. Now, you might not be able to be like Jackie Fleming, who's a, a kind of minister, a business entrepreneur. You might have seen her on the internet. She says this, I'm too anointed to be disappointed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too cheerful to be fearful. I'm to be grateful. I'm too grateful to be hateful. What a great attitude. Now, you may not be quite there, but we do have to make some decisions and start moving to saying, well, Actually, I'm going to change my posture and tap into the joy that God has for us. You see, biblical joy is this deep sense of well-being and, and contentment as we're plugged into Jesus and plugged into his spirit as we get close to him and that by our connection and closeness to him. And then we have the perspective that he's got a good purpose for us in all that happens. Uh, Kay Warren, her son Matthew committed suicide. And Kay Warren is the pastor uh, or co-pastor with Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in California. And they wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And, and Kay Warren wrote this. She said this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control. And that all of the details of my life, I have this quiet confidence ultimately that everything is going to be all right. And I just pause there and say to you, everything is going to be all right. <laughs> Very deeply, we need to understand that God has all the details in your personal life under control. And she goes on and says, everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Where are you at in your joy meter, in your joy reservoir? We need to understand that we can tap into the joy of God because we're making decisions to be joyful. John the Baptist said it this way, if you hear the bridegroom's voice, it causes joy. When you get close to God and he begins to speak to you, joy is a result and also a choice. We can be joyful because of the way that he fills us with the right standing before God. Isaiah chapter 61 says it this way. By the way, have you got your garments on today? I know that you're dressed up for church and you look great, but have you got your garments on today? 
You know what Isaiah says it this way, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, he adorns the bride with jewels. You know, God is putting things on you in your life and in your character. And when you begin to realize what God is doing, in fact, you know the jewels that God adorns you with? If you go over to Isaiah, there's a famous passage in Isaiah 49 where it says, can a, can some, can a mother forget a baby at her breast? And can... Uh, and that God will not forget us and have compassion on us. But then he says this, lift up your eyes, look around, all you children, and gather, come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear your children like jewels and ornaments, and I will put them on you like a bride. You know what God's saying here? He says, I'm going to put the right relationships in your life. I'm going to put the right people in your life. You see, you've got to begin to get those toxic people out of your life. I'm not talking about not witnessing and not being careful with, uh, to be a good witness to people, but those habitual toxic people that are draining you of your joy. You've got to get them out of your life and get God putting some jewels in your life of relationships and people that are actually good for you. You know, you have to keep a perspective to choose joy. You know, Paul said it this way to the Philippians in chapter 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Oh, and I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and uh, petition, with thanksgiving, present your prayers to God and the God of peace. He will guard your hearts and it will transcend all your understanding. The God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, you've got to begin to say to yourself, you know, God, I want to get close to you, and God, I know that you're working on me. Do you remember what James said in the book of James? He said, consider. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know what he's saying, really? He's saying, you know, God has got this and he's allowing this in your life because in the future, you're going to need what he's producing now. So count it joy because God's actually working on you because he can see down the road and you're going to need the depth of character that he's trying to do right now. So give yourself to that and say, you know what, God, I know you've got a plan for me. He goes on, James says, and says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, rejoice in the Lord? <laughs> and then turn to your other neighbor and say, and I'll say it again, rejoice. <laughs> you know what? It's a decision. It's a decision to have joy. 
It's an attitude that says, I know you've got this. And I know some of you may have some difficult things. I know you've got this, Lord. And I want to draw close to you. And I am deciding that you're working on my life. And you, you choose the perspective that God has a good plan to grow me. And he knows me. Do you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength? Nehemiah said, after they were building the temple, he said, stop fasting, eat some good food, have some good drinks. They were probably non-alcoholic. You know, eat some good food. And he said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you'll choose to say, I know God's got this for me. If you choose to seek a posture where you decide to acknowledge that what he has done and what he has doing and is doing in your life is better than your circumstances, you'll begin to sense that joy. Can, can I let you know that, that I was not interested in God or church, never went to church. Uh, just to assure you, I did get saved. Uh, but God, when I look back on it, I think, God, you found me. You drew me. I, I, I wasn't even seeking you, and you aroused my interest and sent people my way. You know, there's, a, there's been a thing over, over COVID where it says faith over fear. You know, not fear. I want to say to you, you know, I would say joy over fear. That actually, the, that does more ministry to people. If, you, if you're joyful in your workplace and you're settled in that, you, you're a greater witness. But actually, I want to say for your own mental health, if you will begin to say, well, God, I know you've got a plan for me. You're just working on me through this circumstance. Then you tap down by drawing close to him into that joy. Your own mindset will change. And your health will be better. Seek a deep posture of deep-seated joy and decide to acknowledge what God has done. I am so thankful he saved me. I am so thankful he picked me out. I am so thankful that he's doing things in my life. How many of you are thankful for Banner's testimony, you know, that God heals people today? You have to choose joy. You have to decide. The bride decides I am moving in this mindset. And that doesn't make and minimize some of the difficulties you go through. It's okay to be sad at some things, but dig down into that joy. The bride also decides and discerns whom she will follow and whom she will listen to. And as church... We, there are many voices that assail us and we have to have a thoughtful, processed decision of which voices we are going to listen to. You see, if you will say, I am going to decide, not, Lord, I'm not sure how I'm going to follow you today. That actually every day you say, actually, Lord, I'm following you. I want to go deeper. If you'll do that, it causes a focus in your life where you don't get blown about by every wind of doctrine and every wind of change. as an active following of Jesus. Did you, did you decide to follow Jesus today? Or did you say, well, I showed up, I come to church. 
But did you have an intentional, Jesus, let's do this today. I'm with you today. You see, the bride assesses the bridegroom and says, yeah, that's the person I want to be with. And the church should make a daily decision to keep following Jesus. Not in a way where you where you kind of not building on your experience from before, but at least intentionally saying, I'm doing it, Lord. Jeremiah, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says this. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through, through, a, through to a land that wasn't sown. And you know, there may be some people here where you have followed the Lord and you've been following him for a while, but you've come into a wilderness season and you're thinking, God, what is this season about? There are three important lessons of the wilderness that you need to pick up because you can have that joy even in the wilderness. But here's the first lesson. God says, I can sustain you, only eat what I give you. When we're in a wilderness season, we're very tempted to feed our lives from other things and all over the place. But actually, the lesson of the wilderness for the Israelites was, I'm going to give you manna, and that's all you can have. Now, we know that they asked for quail, and he gave them that, and they got fed up with that after a while. But basically, for 40 years, he said, I'm going to tell you what to eat. And one of the lessons of being in a wilderness season is that God is saying, I need you to focus on what you're receiving. And don't try and go all over for everything. The second lesson of the wilderness is, I will lead you, but I will lead you at my pace. Do you remember when they were in the wilderness that, that actually a cloud went on the tabernacle and then it moved? Uh, only when it moved could they move. And some of you may be praying today and saying, when is this season going to be over? When are you going to pull me out of this? And God's teaching you, I will be the timer in your life. I will provide the right time. And the lesson of the wilderness is, let me lead you in my pace. Can you stay under my submission? Lesson three of the wilderness is, make God enough, even when all things are stripped away. One of the lessons that God has brought you into a, a difficult season is so that God is just enough for you. Some of us, we want God, and we want this, and we want that, and we want this other thing, and that other thing, and we say, God, will you get me all these things? And then God brings us into seasons where he takes all these things away, and there's only him, and his question to you is, am I enough? So that's a lesson of the wilderness, and you've got to decide, I'm going to follow you in all circumstances. Do you remember Paul said, I've learned, I've actually, it's actually been a teaching thing for me, I've learned that in some circumstances where I abound, not to get distracted, and I follow you, Lord. And then he said, but I've learned that in the circumstances when you strip everything away, that I still follow you. Do you remember he said that? We have to learn the lessons of saying, I'm deciding to follow you no matter what happens. You see, as a bride, as his church, we have to make this active decision to follow daily. 
Jesus put it this way. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I, I just wonder whether some of us are following some people that aren't really helping us follow Jesus. That actually we've made some people so big in our lives that they are not really helping us follow Jesus. Somebody who's really helping you follow Jesus is spurring you on and allowing you to take responsibility for your life, is, is letting you find God and hear God for yourself. I wonder today, what is the decision that you've made in your following to Jesus? It's really important. You see, a bride decides. They decide to posture themselves towards an attitude of joy. Do you want to do it one more time? Turn to your neighbor and say, rejoice. rejoice. Turn to your other neighbor and say, and I'll say it again, rejoice. You see, for some of you, you're going, oh, no, why does he do that? I hate it when he does that. I hate the turn to your neighbor bit. And quite rightly, some of you should absent yourselves. But I'm just trying to get over to you. It's a decision to be joyful. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on what you know God is doing in your life. It's a decision to follow Jesus every day. And you have to, even in every season, begin to say, I'm following you, Lord. In fact, I once prayed it this way. I said, Lord, try and get rid of me, but I'm going to come after you. <laughs> and of course, he never does that. But you know what? We don't decide alone. How many of you know this? Please don't raise your hand at this point, because this could you need to come to the marriage seminar if you raise your hand. But how many of you know that you don't just marry a person, you marry a family? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> no one becomes a bride is only connected to one person. You actually connect to a family, don't you, don't you think? There's a family one time, and well, man and wife, they were driving in the country and they'd had words. I know that never happens here. They'd had some words, you know, and... and uh, they were driving past a farm and they, they saw a herd of pigs and he turned to his wife and says, they're your relatives? <laughs> and she looked back at him and said, yeah, they're my in-laws. <laughs> hey, we, we, all, we all get into families and families are not perfect. But when you become a bride, you join a family. When you become a Christian, you join a family. When you're a bride, you... You're just part of a family. I remember I was part of a church. I was leading a church in Letchworth, and there was a lady there called Sissy Thomas. And she'd been in church all the life, in that church all of her life. She got saved in that church when she was five. And she'd been nearly with George Jeffries and all of that. And then by the time I chatted to her, it was a few years ago now, she's passed on and she's with the Lord now. She, she was in her 80s. And, uh, you know, I, I said to her, Sissy, um, it's great that you're here. Uh, and she actually said to me one time, you know, she said, you know, you are the, the second most handsome pastor. <laughs> I said, well, you know, well, the church had gone on, it had been there since 1915 almost, so I, I kind of thought, well, that's not bad to come second, <laughs> you know, when you've had 20 or 25 pastors or so on throughout the year, so that's not bad. 
And uh, I said, well, who was the most handsome pastor? And she says, oh, Pastor Hull. And when she said that, six other old ladies went, oh, Pastor Hull. <laughs> and I'm thinking, ooh, there's something going on in the Silver Lining Club here. You know? And I actually looked him up and looked at a picture of him. And some of you won't know this. Uh, and some of the older people, he, he was like a guy called Clark Gable. He really was nice, you know. There's some older, older people going, ooh. <laughs> he was nicer looking than Brad Pitt. He was nice. But I didn't mind being second to him. But, you know, Sissy said to me, I said, Sissy, why haven't you ever taken out membership in the church? And she said to me, I'm keeping my options open. <laughs> she was 82. She'd been in the church all of her life. But you know, there's part of that is a sad story for me because I was kind of thinking, well, you've been an example and you've come along, but you've, you've never kind of said, I'm all in. You've never, you've done it through example and it's the same argument that people use and say, why do I need a marriage license? Why can't we just live together? And sometimes you think, no, go all in. And, and you know, you might be here and you might love it, but are you all in? Because actually, when you, when you become part of the bride of Christ, the, the church, it's that you, you become more than an example. You, you commit with understanding and you commit with your heart and you join a vision and you join a family and you join relationships and you, you don't just do the bare minimum of showing up. You know, we don't want to be institutional, but... We do want to deepen our relational journey where we join groups together, we join things and encourage each other and deepen our relationship journey together. If we're to live as the bride of Christ, we have to have a deep commitment to his family. Because that means that you'll make a contribution and the gifts that you have will be sharpened, but also you'll pour them into the family. You see, I don't believe we can, we can't complete the demands of Christ on our own. We need a group to travel with. So I wonder if you'd just stand with me just for a few moments. The bride decides to be joyful. The bride decides that joy isn't the result of circumstance, but actually the result of relationship and perspective with God. And actually, can I say to you that that's one of the best things you can do in your witnessing is to be a joyful, even person. You know when Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, you know, basically he was saying, don't be moody. Don't show up at work going, oh, tube was late, weather was bad. I mean, welcome to Britain. If you're going to complain about the weather, welcome to Britain. But you have to choose to say, you know what, Lord? I know you're doing stuff. When, you, when you're a bride, 
You have to understand that you're part of a family and every family, I want to say to you, you have to eat at the family table. Now, I know that there are some great ministries out there and we honor those. But are you one of those Christians that listens to so much stuff that you don't even know the stuff you've listened to because you've forgotten all the stuff because you've heard so much stuff that there's that much stuff that you're actually on a buffet bar of stuff. I want to say to you, come and eat at the table, the family table. Not that you won't eat out at it. It's nice to eat out now and again, isn't it? And that's okay. We bless that. But families eat at the family table. Can I hear an amen? amen. And, uh, you know, kind of be plain about it. You need to get some teaching from here. Families feel secure in the family home. And that's because they're praying for people. They're connected to people and they feel secure. When you go to bed at night, you lock your doors. When people come here, they need to feel safe because there are people here who we can count on. Who can say, they're our gatekeepers. They pray for us. They're with us. Amen? Amen. You know, families, they nurture and contribute to the health of the family. They speak life. They, they don't cause dissension. They, all families have arguments, but all families make up. I want to say to you, kiss and make up. If you've got anything against anybody, actually now's the time to release them. Would you pick up your communion? Holy Spirit. And maybe you could just gather in threes and fours together, just right where you are if, it's a, if you're able to do that. Just turn around. I don't know which way you want to do this, but it works out both ways. Why don't you say to the people who you're with, I need you. And then say to that, and then they get them to say to you, you need me. Because we're family. Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, do this and remember me. Remember me. Remember you're my family. Remember me. Hey, by the way, I, I don't want to take too much time, but can I just remind you of something? You know when pastors say, hey, come to my church? I, I, just, I just want to, I just kind of have a thing about that. I, I think it's the same with cell leaders or downlines or, you know, my this, my that. The last time I read, Jesus said, he told us to make disciples, and he said, I will build my church. This isn't Mark Ryan's church. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. Amen? You are his family. 
this is broken for you because he paid for you. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this is the new agreement for forgiveness of your sins. Right now, would you forgive anyone just in your heart? You may not be able to go and talk to them yet, but just forgive people right now. Let them go. It's time. And as one family who have been forgiven, we now take this cup and thank you for the forgiveness. Let's take our cup together. <laughs>